I've already started sweating. I ain't even got started yet. Y'all went for a good one today. Mm. Y'all in trouble. <laughs> That's what I'm fixing to do. <laughs> Amen. All right, grab your Bibles or your phones, whichever one you use, but um, I'd love for you to follow along with me. If you have your phone and you're using, I'm using the uh, English Standard Version, the ESV. So there are several free ones you can download from the um, Apple Store or the Google Play Store. But if, uh, if you get that version, you'll be able to follow along with me probably a little bit better. If you want to know why I use that version, see me, uh, see me after the church and I'll be glad to explain it to you um, why I go with that. But we are going to be in Luke chapter 22, as Chris has already read to you, verses 7 through 23. We're talking about the new covenant today. We're talking about the old covenant coming to an end. This is the, this is the last Passover, the last celebration of the old covenant and this is the introduction of the new covenant in which Jesus says He is never ever. He uses a very strong phrase in the Greek here. He says, never will I ever ever again drink of the fruit of this vine until I drink it anew with you in the kingdom of God. And so this is the last Passover and this is the new covenant that institutes the Lord's Supper in this case. If you had a, um, a handout this morning, I'm going to be going over that and I'm going to follow along pretty, pretty close to it uh, because I'm not a Jew this morning and there are some things in that outline that I did a lot of research on. I spent the entire week really trying to learn this stuff to make sure I understood what was going on and to make sure that when I stand in front of you and teach it, that it's correct. And so I want to make sure that I'm not just up here because I heard another preacher say this or this. I want to know from multiple resources. I want to be able to have understanding and see it all the way that it takes place so that I can stand before you and when I teach it to you, I can confidently teach you and say, this is what they were doing. But you remember that last week I told you that we're going through a series of messages as we move closer to resurrection morning. And basically, I wanted to spend the next uh, uh, three weeks, I started last week, it would have been four weeks, but I wanted to spend the next several weeks looking at some significant events in the life of Christ in the last week of His life specifically. And so we started last week, remember I looked at the anointing of Jesus for His burial, the anointing of Jesus at Bethany for His death, and we looked at the different groups of people and how they responded to that anointing and, and which group we would have been in if we were in that place. Because the truth of the matter is, if you go back and listen to it again, you're still in one of those groups today. You still fit in one of those categories. And so it was a very good, very good lesson to look at uh, the anointing of Jesus for His burial. I, I welcome you to go back and find that and look at it again. But this week, I'm going to look at the introduction of the new covenant. We're going to be talking about the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. The Passover, I want to tell you, is a meal that begins a seven-day-long Feast of Unleavened Bread. And so basically what you have here, the Passover is a meal, all right? And it takes place on a specific day at a specific time. 
And then the next day begins the, de- the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread are really joined together at the hip. And I'm going to explain a little bit about what it is. But when God was about to deliver Israel from the bondage of Egypt, you could remember that He set up this memorial meal to commemorate and to celebrate this great redemption, this great deliverance that He was going to do for His people. In Exodus chapter 12, verses 1 through 20, I want to read through those real quick so that you can just get an idea of what this Passover was. Exodus chapter 12, verse 1 through 20. It'll be on the screen for you if you don't get there before I do. And it says, The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. So he establishes a new calendar, right? This is the first of the Jewish year. And then he says, It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. So on the tenth day of the month, their job was to select a lamb, one lamb that an entire household could consume. Alright, keep going with me in verse 4. And if the household is too small for a lamb, in other words, if, if uh, you don't have enough people in your house to consume an entire lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each one can eat, and you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at when? At twilight. So try to keep this in mind. The tenth of the month, what are we doing? We're selecting a lamb, right? We're looking for that lamb that is without blemish. That's a male lamb that we we receive as an unblemished sacrifice for the Lord. We select it on the tenth. And then we bring that lamb into our homes and we care for this lamb until the fourteenth and then at twilight on the fourteenth, which begins the fifteenth because... A Jewish day, typically for some of them, and I'll explain that here in a minute, but for some of them the Jewish day began from sunset to sunset. And so at twilight on the 14th would actually be the 15th of this month when they sacrificed the lamb and they partake of the lamb. Now keep reading with me in verse 7. Then shall you take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses in which they eat. So we go outside of our house, we take the blood of the lamb that we have sacrificed and we put the blood on the doorpost and on the lintel. And then we go in in verse 8, They shall eat the flesh that night. It has to be roasted on the fire with unleavened bread. So during the Passover meal we're eating unleavened bread as well. And with bitter herbs they shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted its head with its legs and its inner parts, and you shall let none of it remain until the morning. So the whole thing needs to be consumed. And anything that does remain until morning, you shall burn it. 
So the whole thing has to be completely consumed. Alright? One way or the other. Verse 11. In this manner you shall eat it, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. Alright, so every plague that God did in Egypt was an attack on a false god that the Egyptians served in some way. And so God was showing them that He is the Lord over all of these so-called gods that they worship. And on the last plague, He is going to destroy the firstborn of all the Egyptians and anyone that does not have the blood of the Lamb on the doors and on their lintel of their, their doorpost, they are going to experience great suffering through death. The wrath of God is going to land home with them. But in verse 13, The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, what will I do? I will pass over you. So they deserve it. They're sinners just like the rest of them, right? The only difference is they're trusting the Lord and they are following Him by faith. They're proclaiming Him, God, and they're doing exactly what He said by applying the blood. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Verse 14, This day shall be for you a memorial day. So what's the purpose of this Passover feast? To remember, right? And you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord. So it's also a time to celebrate what God has done, right? It's a time to remember that we deserve the plague of God just like everybody else. But through the mercy and the grace and the blood of God, He saved us. And so we remember and we celebrate. And he says, this is throughout your generations as a statute forever. You shall keep it as a feast. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. So now we get into the feast of unleavened bread, right? The Passover is a meal. The feast of unleavened bread is a feast that continues to remember and continues to celebrate by only partaking of unleavened bread, which in the Bible, unleavened bread is a symbol of sin. That means they have removed the sin from their life. They have confessed their sin. They have repented of their sin. And they are trusting in the sacrifice of the Lord. And as a result of that, they're able to celebrate the redemption and the deliverance of God. And that alone. Is everybody tracking with me so far? Stay with me because you're going to need this context, alright? Verse 15. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven out of your houses... For if anyone eats what is leavened from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. On the first day you shall hold a holy assembly. So we're going to have the Passover meal at night that we remember and celebrate. Then we're going to come together as a church and we're going to give God praise for it. And then we're going to have seven days of, of remembering that we are separating ourselves from sin and rebellion against God and we are trusting in Him by faith as we apply the blood to our life and we remember that He passes over us with His wrath even though we deserve it and we celebrate that He has forgiven us and made us clean. Alright? 
Now keep going with me in verse um, 16. On the first day you shall hold a holy assembly. On the seventh day a holy assembly. So we begin with a church service and we end the Feast of Unleavened Bread with a church service, right? No work shall be done on those days, but what everyone needs to eat, that alone may be prepared by you. So in other words, this week is... No work, nothing. We are just celebrating and we are remembering. Beginning with the Passover night as we remember how He passed over us and then throughout the rest of the week as we worship and praise and celebrate what He has done through the blood of the Lamb. Verse 17, And you shall observe the Feast of Unleavened Bread. For on this very day I brought your hosts out of the land of Egypt. Therefore you shall observe this day throughout your generations as a statue forever. In the first month, from the fourteenth day of the month at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread until the twenty-first day of the month at evening. For seven days, and eight if we include the Passover, for seven days no leaven is to be found in your houses. If anyone eats what is leavened, that person will be cut off from the congregation of Israel. Whether he is a sojourner or a native of the land, you shall eat nothing leavened in all your dwelling places. You shall eat unleavened bread. So this is the feast of Passover and unleavened bread. And the purpose of them is to examine ourselves, to confess our sin in our life, to be able to repent of our sin to be able to remember what God has done in order for us to be forgiven of that sin. And then it is a time for us to celebrate and to give thanks to Him for what He has done to redeem us and to deliver us. This is the point of Passover and unleavened bread for the entire eight days every year that they do this. Is everybody with me? So you understand Passover and unleavened bread, right? Here's another thing you need to understand. Jesus dies on the day that the Passover lambs are being slaughtered and the Jews of Judea are getting ready to take that Passover feast to remember the deliverance, to remember the blood applied. The tenth of that same month is called the month of Nisan, is what it's called, or in some versions in the Old Testament it calls it Abib. And that was the Hebrew for it. Whenever they got took into Babylonian captivity, it changed to Nisan. But still, it's the same time of the year, okay? It usually corresponds with our Aprilish, is basically what we're looking at. But on the tenth day of the month, when they were supposed to select their lamb, do you know what Jesus was doing on the tenth day of the month? He mounted on a donkey. And he rode in while all the people laid palms in front of him and proclaimed, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King, even the King of Israel. You know what they just did? They just selected their lamb. And then they bring him into their home in Jerusalem for the next four to five days, four days and then on that twilight. Just like, these, just like these Israelites would. They bring the lamb into their home. They care for it. The kids play with it. They, they, they enjoy their relationship with it. And then on the 14th at twilight, five days later basically, they take that lamb and they slaughter it. 
And that's exactly what happened to Jesus during this time because the Passover and the unleavened bread are a feast that was pointing toward what Christ was going to do to truly deliver us from our slavery of sin. Here we have Jesus coming to celebrate this Passover and this feast of unleavened bread. And remember, it's a time to remember It's a time to examine ourselves. It's a time to worship. It's a time to teach our children about the seriousness of it, about about the, the, the consequences of sin, about God's redemption. Look with me at Exodus chapter 12, verse 26 through 27 to show you what I'm talking about right there. Exodus 12, verse 26 through 27. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? In other words, we're going to teach our children during this time. You shall say, It is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For He passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when He struck the Egyptians, but He spared our houses. We deserved it too. And the people bowed their heads and they worshipped. Passover and unleavened bread is a time that we remember, we examine ourselves, We remove sin from our lives. We celebrate what God has done for us in forgiveness. We remember the blood that has been applied and brings us forgiven. And then as we partake of it, we're going to get to this here in a minute, it's a time that we share with our children. What do you mean by this, Mom and Dad? What do you mean by this service? What does this mean? Well, let me tell you about what Jesus did for me. Let me tell you about how God applied the blood to my life. And let me tell you about how God delivered me from the bondage of my sin. And let me tell you about the goodness of our God, that we deserve the same death that everybody else experiences, but yet He called us out of darkness into His marvelous light through the blood applied. And that's what Passover and unleavened bread is supposed to do. Go with me to Luke 22, verse 7. We're going to look at the outline real quick. The first thing we see here is the day. I want you to notice in verse 7 what he says here. Then came what? The day. Then came the day of unleavened bread. Remember how long was unleavened bread? Seven days. So we got a day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Now by this time... He's already entered Jerusalem. The Lamb has already been selected. He's been with them for the last four. Now we're going into the fifth day. And now comes the day. The day that the Passover Lamb is to be sacrificed and the meal is to be eaten as they remember the deliverance that God has done. And then I want you to understand something. This is something beautiful. When we were studying Isaiah, you remember me telling you that the kingdom split We had a southern kingdom of Judah and a northern kingdom of Israel. Y'all remember that? Then Assyria came in and conquered the northern kingdom of Israel. Y'all remember that? Then that split into two nations, basically. The nation of the Samaritans and the nation of the Galileans. So you have Galileans, you have Samaritans. All of these are Jews, okay? But because they've been in Assyrian captivity and mixed up with the Assyrians, now their calendar gets off just a little bit. The Galileans' day begins from sunset to sunset. You know why? Because Genesis chapter 1, I think verse 2 or 3 says, 
and there was an evening and there was a day, the first day. What did the first day start with? The evening and the day, the first day. The Galileans looked at that and they took that as if the day is supposed to be from sunset to sunset is a single day. They are going to eat the Passover at sunset on the 14th, which is their 15th. Am I confusing anybody with that? Alright. Now, the Samaritans are going to do the same thing. But they don't go to Jerusalem to do it. Instead, they go to a mountain where Moses gave the blessings when he gave the law. And and they go up there and they worship and they eat their Passover. The Judeans, on the other hand, in Jerusalem, in the southern end of the county, their day, because they've been in Babylonian captivity, alright? Their day has changed to from sunrise to sunrise. So the Galileans at this time are eating the Passover on the 14th at twilight from sunset to sunset. The Judeans, on the other hand, are not going to celebrate Passover until the following day. Now why is this significant? Because Jesus is a Galilean. Jesus is going to celebrate the Passover and eat it with His disciples a day before the Jews of Judea are going to because He can both keep the law and celebrate the Passover with His disciples and then He can still go tomorrow when the Judeans are killing their lambs at that hour and be on the cross and still be the Passover sacrifice. Now I don't know about you, but when I studied that and I found that out, my head went... That God really is in the details of everything. And so here we have Jesus the night before the Judean Passover celebrating the Galilean Passover because their day begins at twilight and now we have this day that the Galileans start at twilight and it is time for them as Galileans to sacrifice their Passover lamb. Now go with me to verse 8. We see the preparation. So Jesus sent Peter and John saying, Go and do what? Prepare. Go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat it. They said to him, Where will you have us to prepare it? He said to them, Behold, when you have entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him into the house that he enters and tell the master of the house. The teacher says, The teacher says to you, Where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished. Prepare it there. And they went and found it, just as he has told them, and they prepared the Passover. Now you remember one of the things that they had to do before they ate the Passover? They had to get rid of all the leaven in the house, right? In other scriptures of the Old Testament, it tells us that they had to sweep the house thoroughly. In Jewish tradition today, this is where they get spring cleaning. They open up all their cabinets. They go into every nick and cranny and every crevice. They remove every cushion to find any any of y'all got kids in here? How many of y'all could I go to your house and find some Cheerios in your couch? Uh Uh-huh. Can you imagine how difficult it would be to remove all leaven out of your house? And yet they go through everything because they cannot partake of this until they have swept the place entirely clean. This is what Peter and John have been sent to do. 
Their job is to go and prepare this place so that it is ready for them to celebrate the Passover. And then their job is also to set up what we call the Passover um, cedar, or Seder, I believe is how you pronounce it. Now the Seder just simply means order. There's an order of things that they do. And we read about it back in the Old Testament. They use um, green leafy plants. They use bitter herbs. And then you can go to other scriptures to give you more of the order. But here's basically what it is. Let me lay the order out for you. So basically it's always led by the head of the house. Alright? And the first thing that happens is a cup of sanctification is taking place. There's four cups of wine that they have here. They take one cup that's called the cup of sanctification. This is where you get, if you look at Luke chapter 22 verse, um, verse 17. Notice what it says here. And he took what? A cup. A cup. So there is more than one cup here. And he takes this cup that's called the cup of sanctification. And what they do is they, they ask God to sanctify this night, to sanctify this meal, to make this a time that we, it is holy and set apart to celebrate what you have done, to worship what you have done. And so he takes the cup in verse 17, and notice what he says, And when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. And so this is how the Passover starts. The head of the house, which is Jesus, He comes in. Now this is also where, if you will remember some other stories trying to put the pieces together, you remember one thing that Jesus did whenever He was at the Lord's Supper. The Bible tells us in John 13 that He got up, He took His outer garment off, He wrapped a towel around His waist, and He went and got a basin, and He washed the disciples' feet. You remember that? You want to know why He did that? Because when they came into the house, the way that the Jews celebrated feasts was that the closest to the head of the house were the places of honor. And they began to argue over who it was that was actually the greatest. Because all of them want to sit next to Jesus in the place of honor, right? There's 12 of them and they begin to argue. And as a result of that, because they want to argue about who's the greatest and Jesus sees the pride in their heart, He gets up and He takes off His garment and He puts on a towel. And He goes and He gets a basin which was the slave of the house job. And He comes and He gets down in front of them and He gives them an example of what it means to be a disciple of His. He said, is the, the servant of the house greater than the one who reclines at the table? Absolutely not. The one that reclines at the table is the greatest, but here I am serving you. And this is where He teaches them lessons about servanthood. This is where He teaches them lessons about how to love one another and, and so be disciples in the world that they share to the world who He is. He says, by, by the way you love one another is how the whole world is going to know that you are my disciples when you love one another, when you serve one another, the greatest of you actually should become the least. That's how you become the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And so we have this Passover that's taking place. The first cup has been given. Everybody partakes of it. And then we move on to the next part. And this is where the story is told. The story is told about the journey to Egypt and how Abraham 
was promised the promised land by God. And then Isaac was born as the promised child. And then Jacob had twelve sons. And then they sold Joseph into slavery. And then Joseph became the king of Egypt. And then there was a famine. And all Israel uh, migrated to Egypt to live there. And for 400 years they became slaves in Egypt. And then through a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, God delivered them and brought them back through the wilderness into the promised land. And this whole story is rehearsed. And Jesus would have been the one telling this story of God's great saving grace in the Old Testament. Then there is these food items that they partake of. The first is a green leafy plant like parsley and celery. And you read about that in Exodus. But one of them is is taken and it's dipped in salt water. So you take this green leafy plant and you dip it in salt water. And this is a way to remember that life, which is represented by the green plant, was immersed in tears because of the bondage that they were in. And they remember the tears and they remember the bondage that the slavery brought them and how they cried out to God. Have you ever been in a a situation because of the curse of this world and all you do is cry out to God and say, God, please, where are you? I need you now more than I've ever needed you. I need you to save me from this. And this is the heart that they are to go back and to remember that the bondage of sin is what brings all of that on. And so they partake of this green and they all eat of it. They pass it around. The second item on the plate in the order is bitter herbs. You remember reading about that in Exodus 12? They take bitter herbs and this is horseradish. Anybody ever took horseradish? And they're to take unleavened bread and each of them are going to dip this bread into this horseradish mixture and they're supposed to get a minimum of an entire teaspoon on that bread. And do you know what happens when you take unleavened bread and you take an entire teaspoon of nothing but horseradish? Your eyes start to water. And again, it's a way for them to remember. It's a way for them to teach their children that we were in tears and we were in bondage, that we were in slavery before God redeemed us and before God saved us. And then this is likely where the point to where the, uh, Peter and John were sitting next to him on one side and John was laid up against his breast and Peter sa- and he tells them, one of you is going to betray me. He, and they say, well, who is it, Lord? And he says, well, it's the one that dips in the dish with me. Well, you know the problem with that? Every one of them are going to dip in the dish with him. And so this is the reason why all of them don't, they don't just wait to go, well, let's just see who it is. No. What do they say? Is it I? Lord, is it I? Lord, is it I? In other words, everybody's fixing to take and they're going to dip in this sop with them and they're all going to partake of this. But then Peter leans over to John and he says, Hey, ask him who it is. And then there is another mixture that they have. The next mixture is a mixture of apples and a mixture of... um, uh, a cinnamon and uh, dates or nuts or things like that. And it represents the mortar that they made in slavery to build all the things for the Egyptians. And they take that unleavened bread and they dip again. And Jesus looks over at John and He says to him, it's the one that dips at the same time I dip. And at that time, you know who it was? Judas. He dips. And when He does, He looks at Judas and He says... What you have already determined to do, 
Go do it. And the Bible tells us that Judas gets up and he leaves. The other disciples think that Jesus has just told him to go take care of something because he's the treasurer. And you can find all this. When you look at all the gospel accounts, all this information is in there, okay? But the point being is that this is how they knew that Judas was going to be the one. It's because Jesus told Peter and John, it's the one that dips at the same time that I did. And the point of this sweet apple mixture was that after you get done with the bitterness of the, the sin and the bondage, then comes in the sweetness that makes you forget about the bitter taste that you had and about the tears. And it is a sweet mixture. And it is a, a mixture that brings pleasure to you and good taste to you. And then we go into the next part of it. The, next, the fourth item on it is the entire root of the horseradish. Not ground up that they dip in, but just the root. And the head of the house would take the root and he would be able to show them that this is the very root of our sin and this is what makes life so bitter. Because even though we experience the taste of it, there is a root of it that, that resides in our life that causes this bitterness and causes this slavery and causes this tears. Even in the sweetness and the promise of redemption, we still experience this root. Amen? And then... The fifth item, they believe this one was added later on, but there's a hard-boiled egg, and they believe it's symbolic of the destruction of the temple, which was after Jesus. So I'm not going to go over that with you, but they would take the egg and they'd put it in the candle flame, and they would burn it to remember the destruction of the Lord's house and where they used to worship. Because guess what? Today they can't do the Passover. You know why? There's no temple. There's no temple. So they can celebrate the Passover, but not the way that the Bible commands them to do, to go to Jerusalem. And this is why when they get to the end of the Passover, their blessing, they say, is until next year in Jerusalem. In other words, their hope is always that the temple will be rebuilt so they can go back and they can sacrifice their lamb and they can actually go through this feast that the Lord had given them. But then after the fifth item of the hard-boiled egg, we go to the sixth item, which is the Passover lamb itself. The lamb itself. Now we get ready to, we're getting ready to move into the entire meal. The story has been told. We've remembered the bitter tears. We've, we've celebrated the sweet taste of salvation. We have looked at the root of the bitterness. We have, uh, we have looked at the, the, the destruction of the temple. And now we move into the Passover lamb itself, which represents the blood being applied and us taking part of that sacrifice that was given in our place. But now we move to another cup. Let's read with us. Go down with me to verse 18. Or verse 19, I'm sorry. <clears throat> and he took bread, and when he had given thanks... He broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in what? Remembrance of me. He's setting up a new memorial feast. A new memorial feast. The old covenant is going away. Now we're looking at the new one. And then he says next, And likewise, what does this next part say in verse 20? And likewise what? The cup after what? After they had eaten. So here we have the meal. Then we have before the meal a cup of plagues to where as they're telling the story, they take this cup and they dip their finger in it and they let a drop of ten drops onto their plate before they eat. And those ten drops, they recite the plagues and they look at 
the wrath of God on sin so that their children learn it and so that they, they understand the seriousness and the consequence of sin. And then they move over to the third cup and to the meal itself. And he takes the unleavened bread, and there's three pieces of unleavened bread. And he takes the middle piece. Most believe it represents the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And they take the middle piece out and they break it. And he takes that bread here and when he breaks it, he hands the unleavened bread to them and he says, this is what? My body that is given for you. In other words, Jesus is unleavened bread. That means that He has absolutely no sin whatsoever and yet it is given for you just like the Passover lamb was. He is going to be your substitute. You deserve to be broken because you are leavened. He is not. You deserve to be shed of your blood because you are the one that is full of sin, not He. And yet He says here, I am the unleavened bread. And now He gives it to them and they divide it among themselves. And as He gives it to them, He says, This is My body. In other words, you remember. What do you want Me to remember, Lord? You remember that the Lord Jesus Christ Himself was completely without sin. And yet, God made Him who knew no sin to become sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. This is my body, unleavened, perfect, and yet it's given for you. And every time you do this, you remember that. You remember the bitterness of sin. You remember the separation that it caused between you and God. You remember the curse that it brought on this world. You remember the sufferings of this life. And as you remember it, you look at what God did for you to redeem you from all that and what He has promised you by applying the blood to your life. Now we move on. Keep reading with me. In verse 19, He took the bread. When He had given thanks, He broke it and gave it to them saying, This is My body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of Me. So we still have the same purpose that the Passover served, right? Remember what that was? It's a time that we examine ourselves. It's a time that we confess and repent of our sins. It's a time that we look to the sacrifice that was given for us and we celebrate it and we give thanks for it and we worship Him for it and we remember that He made Him who knew no sin to become sin so that I might become the righteousness of God. You know when April stands up here and she sings, I am clean. Do you think she can sing, I am clean because of something that she has done? No. She sings, I am clean simply because the blood has been applied to my life and He took what I deserved and He paid it all. And as a result of that, we remember and we worship and we celebrate and we move. The old covenant comes to an end. The new has begun. Now keep going with me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. 
Now here we move to the third cup, which is called the cup of redemption. The cup of redemption. Let me get my notes on that. This is where they would remember how God provided the substitute to pay for the sins and Jesus introduces His body and His blood as the new covenant. Did y'all catch that? The new covenant. Let me show you what He's talking about. Look with me in Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 30, uh, 31 through 34. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a what? A new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant which they what? They broke it. So here's the problem. The old covenant could be broken. You know how? Being disobedient. Ain't you glad we ain't under the old covenant anymore? And he says here, it's not going to be like that covenant. But instead... I am going to be their husband, declares the Lord. Go with me to verse 33. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. Now the old covenant, they just had a written copy of it, right? God said, do this and don't do this and do this and don't do that. Y'all remember that? But what's the problem with that? When somebody tells you don't do something, what does that do in you? Somebody look at your three-year-old and say, don't do that. What are they fixing to do? That's our nature, right? But in the new covenant, God says, I'm going to put my laws within them. In other words, I'm going to give them my Holy Spirit. This is why in John chapter 12 and 13... This is where they're having the Lord's Supper. And then John chapter 13 all the way through John chapter 18 is His teaching on it. And you know what He teaches them during the Lord's Supper? He teaches them about the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit is going to come and He's going to be their guide and how the Holy Spirit is going to be their teacher how the Holy Spirit is going to be their counselor, how the Holy Spirit is going to convict them of sin and is going to draw them out of sin and lead them unto God. And all of that is because Jesus is teaching them the new covenant is here. The old covenant is gone. And now the new covenant, I'm going to put my law within them. I'm going to write it on their hearts. I'm going to be their God. They're going to be my people. Look at verse 34. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each of his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they all shall know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and I will what? (laughs) Oh, that's good stuff. That's good stuff. I will remember their sin no more. This is the new covenant. And you remember what Jesus said when He celebrated the Passover? He took the cup of redemption. And He says, this is the new covenant. It's here. It's in my blood. It is poured out for you. This do in remembrance of me. Let me show you one more scripture. Y'all got a little time. Y'all ain't in no hurry, are you? KFC will still be around, I promise. Can I show you another scripture? Look with me at um, Hebrews chapter... Let's just go to Hebrews chapter, chapter 9, verse 11 and 12. But when Christ appeared as the high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent not made with hands, that is not of this creation, He entered once and for all into the holy places. He's bringing the Lamb in, right? 
not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of what? His own blood, thus securing a what? What does eternal mean? For all y'all people that think you're going to lose your salvation, let me explain something to you. If you are saved by faith, if you are born again, if you see the sanctifying work of Christ in your life, this is an eternal redemption that God promises, I will remember their sins how often? No more. Let me go to another scripture. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 1. Y'all track with me on this. This is good stuff. For since the law has but a shadow of good things to come, that's all the Passover and all that was. It was just a shadow of the good things that are coming. It says, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. What's the problem with the blood of lambs and goats? Can't make you perfect. And God requires you to be perfect. I'm sorry to tell you that. God requires perfection. Alright, go with me to verse 2. Otherwise, if it couldn't make you perfect, would they not have ceased to have been offered since the worshipers having once been cleansed would no longer have any consciousness of sins? Why? Because it made them perfect and they knew it, right? So their conscience was clear. Are y'all tracking with me? Alright, go to the next verse. But in these sacrifices of lambs and bulls and goats, there is a reminder of sins every year. The conscience is never clear. I'm never able to look at God and say, God, I believe you've, you remember my sins no more. You've paid for it all. It's complete. It's finished. It's done. No, every year you keep coming back and you keep saying, God, here I am again. But then look at verse 4. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, this is what He said. Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, God, but a body you have prepared for me. You know why? Because He never wanted lambs and goats. He wanted perfect, unblemished, perfect. And in order to get a perfect sacrifice, you know what has to happen? God has to get a body because He's the only one that's perfect. He says, in burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken... No pleasure. All they did was point to what you was going to do. Then I said, this is what Jesus said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. My body is prepared, I'm here. When He said above, You have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. When He said these things, then He added this, Behold, I have come to do your will. So He does away with what? This is why you don't sacrifice lambs and goats. This is the reason why we don't celebrate Passover and unleavened bread. This is why now we celebrate Lord's Supper. Because He does away with the first in order to do what? To establish the second covenant. Go with me to verse 10. And by that will we have been sanctified. By that will, what will? The body prepared for Him, the, the doing the will of the perfect sacrifice being paid. By that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for how, how long? For all. Guys, listen, I know you still sin. I still sin. And I hate it. But let me tell you something that I know. 
I know when He said He remembers my sin no more, guess what? He remembers it no more. I know that when He said it is finished and He paid it all, it is finished and He paid it all. Go with me to verse 11. We'll go through the rest of this quickly. And every priest stands daily at his service. Every day the priest keeps having to come back, come back, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But then in verse 12, But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, you know what He did? The priest is standing every day. You know why He has to stand every day? Because the work's never finished. Jesus, on the other hand, when He offered His sacrifice, He sat down. You know why He sat down? Because it is finished. It is done. And He sat down at the right hand of God. Go into verse 13. This is too good to quit now. Waiting from that time until His enemies should be made a footstool for His feet. He's just waiting on that final day. For by a single offering He has done what? Listen guys. Christians, listen to me. Believers, listen to me. For by a single offering, He has perfected, or as April song, cleaned. He has perfected. Let me tell you something. If you don't become perfect before God, this is the reason why I have a problem with, with songs that say God never required perfect. Yes, He did. And if Jesus, the perfect one, had not come and provided it for me, I wouldn't have it. He demands perfect. And by a single offering, He has perfected for how long? All time. How do I know I've been perfected? Here it is. How do you know you've been born again? He has perfected for all time those who what? Do you see the sanctifying work of Christ in your life? Do you see the old passing away and the new has come? Do you see the, 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 the leaven being swept out and took away? And do you see you celebrating and clinging to the redemption and to the blood that has been applied? If you see that in your, in your life, then you can say with this that I have been perfected for all time. All time means this, your past, your present, and even the sins that you're going to commit tomorrow and you're going to wake up or you're going to go to bed that night and say, Lord, what reason do you have to forgive me this time? Can I get a witness? Well, next time you ask that question, turn to Hebrews chapter 10 verse 14 and you'll have your answer. Because He perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Can I finish this? Go to verse 15. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness. Okay. He said, okay, you don't believe me? You don't believe me? That's good. That's hard to believe, ain't it? How many of y'all as sinners, you find that hard to believe that God would perfect me for all time? Okay, you don't believe me? The Holy Spirit bears witness. And here's what He says. For after saying this, in verse 16, this is what the Holy Spirit said. This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. Here's what the Holy Spirit said. I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. That's sanctifying work, right? The Lord is teaching me, leading me, guiding me. Then He adds this. This is what the Holy Spirit said. I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds for how long? (laughs) It's okay if you don't believe me. It ain't okay if you don't believe Him. Now go with me to the next verse. 
Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. There is nothing else. The song we sung, Lord, with empty hands I bring nothing. There's nothing I can bring. All I can do is come with the promise of acceptance from a good and gracious King. Therefore, brothers, therefore, therefore, we mean therefore, because of what the Holy Spirit promised, because of what Jesus has done, because He remembers your sins no more, therefore, brothers, we have what? Somebody, somebody, please tell your other brothers and sisters that believe you can't know whether or not you're saved or not until you get there. I got family that I love so much, but they're raised in a denomination that, that teaches them and tells them, you just can't never know, we just hope so. No, I don't hope so, I know so. I have confidence to enter the holy places by what? The blood of Jesus, the blood of my Passover lamb. Now go with me to verse 21, or 20. By the new and the living way. This is, this is a new way that we come to God. And He opened for us through the curtain. There's no longer any separation. That is through His flesh. Verse 21. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near. Guys, you can draw near to God. You can draw near to God. Why? Because He has perfected you. Not because of what you've done, not because you're sinless, because the sinless one was given for you. Because He made Him who knew no sin to become sin so that you and I might become the righteousness of God. So let us draw near with what? A true heart. In what? Did He say, let us draw near and go, Lord, I just hope one day, mm, one day, I just don't know if you'll ever be able to accept me. Can I tell you something? That ain't a true heart. That's an evil conscience. That is not full assurance of faith. Without, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. The evil conscience is gone. Why? Because He's perfected us. He has perfected you. If you see the sanctifying work of Christ in your life, let us then do this. Hold fast our confession of our hope without what? You know what it means to waver? Well, maybe I am. Maybe I ain't. Maybe I am. Well, today I am. No, tonight I'm not. <laughs> Why don't you go back and read Hebrews 10 again? You go back and read Hebrews 10. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for He who promised is what? So what does it all depend on according to the end of that verse? His promise. In closing, the Lord's Supper is our new Passover. We remember God's deliverance from our sin through suffering and death of Jesus Christ. The blood applied. We examine ourselves during this. We confess. We repent. We remember His Passover. And we teach our families. And this is what we do this morning.